Janelle. What's up? Gotta stop playing Nintendogs over there. I'm not playing Nintendogs. You are playing Nintendogs. Yeah. I bought the one I wanted. I'm really happy about it. <laughs> Can this be our cold open? I got the I got the lab one. I could only ever find the Chihuahua in Friends one. But now I know that there's a Dalmatian in Friends, and I grew up with Dalmatian, so I really want the Dalmatian in Friends one, but I don't even I, I won't even dream of getting my hands on that baby. You can get a Dalmatian in that one. You just have to like earn it as opposed to just getting it from the that, start. Oh really? That's not yeah. what it said on the back of the box. It said I that thought, there's only like wait shit, hang on. I could have sworn okay. you could get all of the dogs. She has the box right here. I'm looking at the okay. box. We're, we're, we're looking at the box. God, you can't get all the dogs. That's why there are like four of them because it's freaking greedy, dude. Wow, I'm going. Nope, nope. Wait, this okay. is, there's a, you get six in each version. So, so in this one, you get the Labrador Retriever, the Pembroke Welsh Corgi, the Miniature Pincher, the Toy Poodle, the Miniature Schnauzer, and the Shiba Inu, which yeah. is what I have. There's four oh. versions, and all of them have six breeds, and you only get the six in your version, according I, to this manual. I could have sworn that like those are the ones you start with, but you can earn Dude. the other no. ones. That, sounds, know, that seems wrong. Maybe I'm misremembering, but... I'm looking at the thing, and it says like which ones are in which games. Well, okay, listener, right. if you played <laughs> Nintendogs, maybe you have a favorite version. I don't know. How do you guys like that? You like a cold open? We don't do cold opens ever. Well, it's because it's so hot outside. That's right. We're trying to mitigate the, the heat wave yeah, that exactly. we're living through. But let me <laughs> heat it right back up. I'm going to slap a hot open on you all. Welcome back to the Emerald Games Cast, episode 66. Oh, so close. One more six and we'd be the devil's number. It could match the heat outside in this hellscape we currently reside in. But <laughs> no, no <laughs> such luck. But I am Nolan, with me is... I'm Janelle. Who is still playing Nintendogs. That's okay, though. And also... Uh, I'm Alex. I'm not playing Nintendogs. Can I tell you guys something? Yeah. What's up? It's not that fun. It's not. Yeah. It's no, really it's not. It's a little bland, isn't it? I can't... Well, I don't know how to do things. Like, it says that I can't perform in the, like, agility contest until I go to the doggy gym, but I don't even know how to go to the doggy gym. And you have all to, I can you have really to, like, do... walk your dog to locations. You have to go to the map, yeah. That's how walking works? Okay. God damn. Well, I already took him on a walk a few minutes ago, and now I can't take him on another walk. When I opened it, he had fleas. I did not know what to do about that, but apparently you just need to shampoo your dog if it has fleas. Don't know how it does. He's been locked up in this Nintendo DS for two weeks. To me, it's like when I got Nintendo Dogs when I was in middle school, I, I opened it up and I said, wow, that's cute. And I don't think I ever played it again. Yeah, basically. <laughs> did you know that if you pull on the tail, you can make it chase its tail? But also if you pet it wrong, it, it shakes its head at you. It's like, no. Oh, man. Yeah. So I'm going to be playing Nintendogs this episode. I'll keep you updated periodically right. on the nothings that are happening. Well, on this listener, did screen. you know that it's June 29th? We're here recording Tuesday, June 29th, 2021. Year of our Lord. <laughs> and listen up. We got some news. We got some reviews. We got some stuff going on. We skipped an episode last week because of the, or not last week, We I should say we skipped recording on a normal day um, because of the heat wave. fucking hot outside. Yeah, and uh, if you're still in Eugene, where I assume most of our listeners are, are at least within the Willamette Valley still, then I'm sure you don't need us to tell you about it. But if you wish you were singing a sea shanty, sailing your, your little heart out in the Caribbean Sea... With a special 
Captain, maybe you'd like Alex to tell you about Sea of Thieves of Pirate Life, which you've been playing. I have been, yeah. So, uh, Damn. just in case you're you're not aware, this is this game, Sea of Thieves, has been out for several years now. I want to say it came out in, like, 2018. Um, and it's one of those, like, it, they're modeling it after, like, games of the service thing where they add new things to it a bunch. And what they just announced at uh, E3 not too long ago was that they had a collaboration with Disney uh, for the Pirates of the Caribbean license. Uh, there was a really interesting article written about uh, the studio on, I think it was GameIndustry.biz. And they talked about how, you know, Rare is famous for being a very secretive studio. That's one thing they're very well known for. But they had to not do that because this game, Sea of Thieves, is a online, like, multiplayer game. They had to be willing to, like, have open betas and, like, test things out with as many people as possible to make sure it works. But... They tapped back into that to make sure the Disney thing didn't get spoiled. Either that or it was at Disney's request. I don't know which is which. Um, and you can tell because a lot of things in that game, in this new, like, missions campaign thing, don't they don't fucking work. The video game will just <laughs> not work or will, like, oh. skip around because it's not designed for it. So, listen, oh, no. the, way, the way Sea of Thieves works is it is kind of, it is daisy light, right? You are in a server with other people who can all do their own thing, and you interact with them, and that's part of the the charm, right? Is that it is, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, emergent. Yeah, it, it, thank you. It, that's it. Emergent gameplay and emergent storytelling, right? Visceral. Yeah, yeah. Radiant <laughs> AI. It doesn't. It doesn't have radiant AI, but it does have all these other things. It is designed. Yeah, yeah. It is designed to be a multiplayer cooperative game with as many people as possible. Um. This is not like that, uh, because a lot of people don't... I think I, I think I say a lot of people, but I'm kind of referring to Rare. Nobody knows what they want to do with this game, because everyone wants something different from it. Some people are like, oh, I want more single-player pirate adventures, and oh, I want more story content. Other people are saying, no, give us more of the freeform stuff. Other people are like, oh, I just want to fight and, like, grief ships, right? Uh, so what they tried to do with this new Pirates of the Caribbean stuff is have you go into an instance server, right? So it's just you and your crew, so whoever else you bring on. Um, you start on the main, like, overworld server, but you usually go through, like, a portal or, like, go under the ocean to get into the, like, Pirates of the Caribbean story areas. Uh, and the way that... One thing that kept coming up was that it doesn't quite work right. There was... At the time that I played it, which was pretty shortly after launch... Uh, me and a couple friends got together to play through it, and it was, like, just just bugged to the point where, like, we would have multiple ships come in on us and, like, try to attack us when we were doing the story thing, which is supposed to be just us. And huh. even when we got the story thing that's just us to work, it was kind of boring. It wasn't, like, it was not why I play Sea of Thieves and what I think is fun about Sea of Thieves. Like, it was... It was fun to see Jack Sparrow and to hear the the, the Disneyland ride, but like, it, it felt really lacking in a lot of ways, and has me, if I'm being completely honest, has me a little concerned for the future of this game, because if they're going to keep doing stuff like this instead of doing what they're the best at, and refining this game as like a, as a Rust or a Daisy Light, as this, this, uh, this multiplayer experience, I, I don't know how much longer I'd be interested in it. It's possible that they are just looking for a shot in the arm to reinvigorate the game because Sea of Thieves didn't do that well when it came out. No, it did Game pretty Pass, well. I mean, 
like it did like it did pretty well. It had its fans, but I, I, I wouldn't. It was I wouldn't... it was the highest grossing new IP that uh, Microsoft had released in years. I I feel like the people who liked Sea of Thieves when it came out really liked Sea of Thieves, but I don't remember. I mean, that would be dishonest. I can't think of too many other games that I can like vividly remember having such big backlash against them when they came out other than like No Man's Sky. And yeah, but like I, I hadn't heard what he, what he said yeah. before. That's that's interesting. I didn't know that about the highest grossing new IP. That's surprising. I suppose yeah. I was basing my memory more off of a yeah, like what you're talking about Janelle, a kind of memory of its reception. I feel yeah, like Yeah, Janelle is correct. They were very yeah. people were very critical of this game for a very long time. That is I, absolutely I feel like true. It it, it 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 has its loyal players. I feel like by and large the game is remembered as kind of a disappointment. Well this is a good example of why um it doesn't matter how much money a game makes or what people say, maybe it's good and maybe it's not. You just have to play the game for That's yourself. True. That's true. Huh. Wow. Yeah. I would say Sea of Thieves is a is a pretty good game. I like it. I, I don't like it enough that I want to give it a lot of time. It's I had a lot of fun playing it for like eight nine hours that I played total. Yeah, you know, but See it's fun. These... So it's 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 too bad to hear that this this is not doing it. But like I said, maybe it's sort of a shot in the arm in the sense that if you're get, gonna get some Disney money, then you can go back to developing what you're looking to do with the game. Yeah, to me, Sea of Thieves is a is, and this is something that they've talked about in countless interviews, and something that's always stood out to me. The goal was to be a storytelling device, right? They were yeah. purposefully very light on tutorials and very light on directions because it's like you make your own adventure, you make your own story, right? Uh, it's so much more fun to talk about encounters with other ships and other things that you have done on the island with with other players than it is to just recount the scripted story of the time you met Jack Sparrow and bring brought up the Black Pearl from the Sea of Thieves, right? Yeah. Like, uh, yep. I played with a different group of friends, and most of them were very inebriated at the time. And a couple of them had never played Sea of Thieves. They just wanted to go see Jack Sparrow, because they liked that, that movie. It sounded so wonderfully no. formal. <laughs> most well, of them were... They were quite inebriated. inebriated. I think they, they had, had taken some, some substances... Um, I... My friend took a trip down to the Chinese laundry on 2nd Street, but I have reason <laughs> to suspect it's simply a front for selling bottles of hooch, and boy, howdy, did he come back yelling a hoot. <laughs> I think it's interesting, and I'm not going to... I do not know enough about this to say anything of value to the actual situation mm. with Johnny Depp, but I think that it's very... Obviously, Pirates of the Caribbean is the obvious IP to mix with this game. But man, like, what a risky move, right? To like, I you know. I, I talked about this with somebody. You know, you're right. You're absolutely right. I was talking about this with somebody. And I think the thing with uh, Pirates of the Caribbean is that Jack Sparrow is visually so removed from Johnny Depp. And like yeah. the likeness is not even resembling its itself in this he game. Like, he he's like yeah. so made up and so costumed that it's almost like it's almost like the uh, Captain America costume transcending Chris Evans. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, like, like you could you could put it's like you could put anyone in those dreads and that makeup. And they did for years. They used to have him as yeah. like a costumed character at Disneyland. Uh, oh, but yeah. women would flash him, and they decided that that wasn't a good idea what? for their family friendly park. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was a big thing. Because <laughs> yeah. everyone, I, everyone at the Hotspur, so a gross pirate. 
That's but I mean, outrageous. like, but I mean, like, when we think—I don't know—I'm not speaking for you guys, but when I think of Captain Jack Sparrow, I think of Johnny Depp as Captain Jack Sparrow. Like, yeah, that's a character a, a that for yeah. me is incredibly hard to separate from the actor. So, and that's completely valid. I, you know, I don't follow you for I, that. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you when it comes to the movies, but I feel like the character itself both predates and transcends That's to true. me. And I sort of transcends. Feel like, transcends. <laughs> yeah. uh, he has gone yeah. beyond cinema. The comparison I want to make is like I when I think of Iron Man, I think of Robert Downey Jr. immediately, but the character could still isn't linked to him, you know. Sure. But I totally get what you mean like I think of Orlando Bloom as the other guy. What was his name, man? Well, it would be funny if Rare just, <laughs> just like just put him. He was the only character that appeared in this DLC instead. Something Turner. Isn't it sad that you can be an eight-year-old girl and think you're going to marry a pirate, and then and then you turn 25 and you don't even remember the dang pirate's name? Can I yeah. ask you a question as a woman, though? What? For you as a woman? What's up? Well, you were into Orlando Bloom, right? So maybe this doesn't apply to you. Okay. So I guess I can't ask you. But like, Wait, you, ask me. <laughs> yeah, ask her anyway. Why was, why was anyone attracted to Jax? That guy is a, 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 well, a drunk. He looks grimy. He looks like he smells. His hair like is all matted <laughs> down to make like showers. fucked up fake dreads. Um, the only thing grosser in that movie than Jack Sparrow is the octopus beard man, David Jones. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I was like eight, so I can't speak on behalf of women, <laughs> but I can say that it's. I don't know if I... Janelle is the arbiter of all women. I can say that probably uh, for the same reason... Oh, I don't know about this one. Anyone uh, goes to Hot Topic. You know, you know what? what I mean? that, you just made so much sense just by uh, saying that. It all adds up. Is Thank he a you. bad boy? Is he a pirate? I... Yeah, yeah, you know, I yeah, I don't. But it's like a, a grimy bad boy, right? Like that's that certain <laughs> yeah. aesthetic that existed around that time. Holy shit! I want to, I want to live in the, uh, yeah. I want to live in the timeline where women are really into like Travis Bickle or something. Um, join me on my new podcast. It's a pirate's life where we talk about pirates oh. of the Caribbean or Caribbean or um, the first two movies, yeah. maybe three. I liked the first two. I think. Uh, I, I like well, them. They're fun. What was his? Some, what was his name in the movie? Something. Will Orlando Turner. Boom. It was uh, Will Turner. <laughs> yeah. He he's not in Pirates Life, and it's been a long time since I've seen that movie, so I couldn't tell you. All but, that yeah. I remember is that I went to see the third one in theaters, and and I, I was totally thrown for a loop by the dream sequence where he talks to crabs and. Let me tell remember you, that. No, but let me tell you guys something. Okay. This is explicit. <laughs> Uh, the last time I watched a Pirates of the Caribbean movie, I don't know which one it was, but it was like, the, how many are there? Like five of them? Something. There's like six, I want to say. I think it was like the fourth or fifth one. I was should going go to a different place. They should be Pirates of the I was in. I was in high school, I think. It was when one of them came out and I was in high school and my friend and I were going to go to Walmart first because we lived in Roseburg, Oregon and there was nothing but a Walmart. It was very exciting <laughs> to buy snacks to sneak in in the movie theater. But there was this big bus, this big school bus covered in like rainbows and shit so i went onto this creepy this is stuff i would never do now i went onto this creepy bus smoked a bunch of weed went to see pirates of the caribbean and just slept through the whole thing and had like nightmares about the skeletons <laughs> Wait, whose bus was it i don't know was it like a like a, a it was like a traveling transit sized bus or was it like a, a way, small bus it was a school bus it wasn't like a vw bus it was a school bus yeah, this is a school bus in- that was like retrofitted by somebody and full of weed 
you know, that itself so we're not, is we're kind not of talking like, a, like somebody bringing like a group to an event. We're no, talking no, like no. a Ken Kesey type yes. school bus. Yeah. Oh no! And do they do they give you the drugs when you walked on? Yeah. What the, where the door? How did the door was open? And my friend and I that? were. I've never lived in this world. Yeah. <laughs> and then that is that's a pirate door again. That's a pirate's so life. It really is a Ken no, Kesey. Yeah, bus. that is a very pirate. Thing. Oh, holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> what if it was? What if it was Ken Kesey? <laughs> what if I smoked weed with Ken Kesey and I was like seventeen? No. Younger. Oh, sorry, Ken. Uh, He's wow. dead. He doesn't. You were you yeah. were of legally distinct age. I think it's funny because I don't smoke weed now because it gives me anxiety because I'm really cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that reminds me, though. My, my friends who were very inebriated and didn't know how to play the game, we were getting ready to go to the ship. I was teaching them, like, okay, you turn the sails to the wind and, like, you have to, if you lo- raise the anchor, then you'll be able to, like, move the ship, right? And another ship came up on us. And I was like, oh, no. So I pulled out my, like, megaphone and got on voice chat and was like, listen, man, we just spawned. We don't have anything. My friends are very high. They just want to go see Jack Sparrow. Please leave us alone. And they stopped for a second. And they kind of, like, looked at each other. Probably, like, we're, we're talking in, like, an outside app. And for, like, it felt like 30 seconds we're just chatting. And then instantly fired on us and sunk us. <laughs> That's, that story is much more fun to tell and much more fun to think about than any of the stuff in the Pirates of the Caribbean levels were. And yeah. that's where that's I think Sea of Thieves really shines. Is when you have that player-to-player communication that people don't want in that game for some reason. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I haven't played that game, but I do know that the beauty of that game is that you kind of make your own experience. So to cry and be like, give me give me a story yeah. instead of using your freaking noggin dorks to yeah. make a story is kind of lame-o, cheeseball. It's, it's super lame You're correct. Thank you. You know, you, you guys want to hear uh, an SS-tier segue? Yeah, yeah. do it. When I think of player-to-player communication, uh, <laughs> I think of Penny Arcade Exposition. <laughs> well, now it's In just packs, remember? Like, they had to drop right, Penny Arcade packs. name, yeah. No longer Penny Arcade. I'm going to, in the interest of full disclosure, because I'm going to be talking a lot of shit. And I said a lot of shit on Twitter about this event that's happening in September. That's the news. Pax West returns in September, despite every reason why it shouldn't. We're going to go. Well, possibly. It's maybe. Uh, we bought tickets. So we, we kinda contributed to this a little bit. You buy tickets for packs even if you are gonna end up giving them away to somebody later because you you only have in this case like thirty minutes to make the choice. We'll so we'll bring that up later. Yeah, but yeah right. that's normally what you do. Yeah. So, so in any case, like she alluded to, and if you remember last year, PAX was uh, canceled Online. due to COVID because the 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 very last in person video game event that happened in 2020 was PAX East in Boston and it ran until March 1st and then a really funny little thing happened and some stuff got canceled you guys might have heard about it some stuff happened um, and then now loop all the way back to here PAX West is going to reopen it's in Seattle so this is relevant local news. Mm-hmm. Today, and again, it's June 29th, Seattle officially lifted the mask mandate. It's no longer required within city limits except for, sorry, I should say Washington. Washington lifted the mask mandate yeah. except for on buses and airports and in train stations because the um, federal government didn't lift the mask mandate, which means that those things are still obliged to do that. 
Yeah, but, Oregon uh, is doing something similar. I think uh, Governor Kate Brown tweeted out like, so we're either gonna we're gonna reopen when it reaches the thirtieth or when we uh, get seventy percent vaccinations, whichever comes yep. first. And then she went and back then, on that and said, now insane. it's just the thirtieth. Tonight at midnight, Seattle is. Uh, <laughs> sorry, again, Washington. Tonight at midnight, Washington is officially. 100% open. No longer half capacity restaurants, any of that stuff, because it's going to be the 30th, and that's what the idea was. Yeah. Seattle's over 70% vaccination. But the issue with PAX West reopening in September is that most people are not from Seattle. Yeah. So that is the big question on, at least my mind, is will, uh, will you know, one, will PAX be flexible if the situation is not as it seems come September, because even on the radio today, they were talking about like, what would have to happen for the restrictions to go back into place? And the answer was essentially for case numbers to go back up. So it's not like the opening is permanent and, you know, COVID's not over per se. So I'm curious what they're looking at, what kind of capacity, who's coming. I don't know. Look, man, all I know is that before I decided myself that I think I may be comfortable going there, Maybe we'll see if I change my mind. My bosses were like, you have to go to PAX this year. So, like, I was going to go no matter what, I guess. Which yeah. is, I think, I have thoughts on that. So we, so we sort of myself, but tentatively have tickets. And so, I, yeah. I feel like we have mixed feelings about the... Yeah. Uh, yeah and they really are mixed. I go so back and forth on this. I want to talk about the COVID thing in a minute. But first, I want to talk about something a little bit more local, if that's okay, for a second. Yeah. Um, okay. One of my main issues with PAX, and this isn't a completely original thought. I saw other people talking about this, and it made me do a lot of thinking on my own about this. But right now in downtown Seattle, where the convention center is, there are a lot of homeless people who are, <laughs> thanks city, uh, being allowed to sleep on the streets. Oh, so kind and of them. So kind of them. So I know. So generous. Just so fucking godly of them. But what I'm afraid of and what many people are afraid of is that all of these people down there are just going to be displaced with... And they're always displaced. The so, like, wait, what are they going to do with these people? I doubt they're going to give them shelter to stay in instead. And what I think is going to happen mm. is well, the Seattle Giving people housing police... is communism, all right? None of that yeah. in God's green America. But the Seattle Police Department is going to move all of these homeless people and put them God knows where. And then all the gamers are going to have a good time. And And it's like Seattle doesn't have a problem. So that part really bothers me. And I feel very passionately about that aspect and then when you add the covid thing on top of it it's like the new york times reported that there were over 10,000 new cases today last year that was terrifying and today who cares because i can get a margarita now like i don't know you guys yeah. i feel yeah. really c- confused about all of so, this so and 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 you're right because the l- l- I, I think the largest homeless camp in seattle i'm saying i think because i don't know all the statistics but certainly the one that has the most um presence i think in the mind of locals is a homeless camp in pioneer square in the city's historic district it's it, it spans a couple blocks and um fills all of of prefontaine park and the city has just announced that they're going to close that down but what the city didn't say anything about is what 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 that means if yeah. you close down a camp with several hundred occupants they don't they don't disappear right so Right now, you can still sleep in front of, you know, that area by the convention center or underneath the monorail on, you know, uh, whatever street that is. I, I can't remember. Fifth? But, yeah, I think so. But 
you're right. Like, there's not a lot of funding going to creating housing solutions for homeless people in Seattle. So instead, it's just get them out of sight of the mind. We don't want to see them, but we don't want to do anything about it. Right. Right. But like if um, you give someone a home, they are no longer homeless. Like that's the best way to solve the the homeless crisis. Right. Yeah. But Alex, what were you going to say a second ago? Oh, okay. So I I do. I have a couple things. Um, One thing that really concerns me about PACs is they are doing, they made a big deal about, you know, they're doing all the hygiene theater. They're doing social distancing, masks on all that jazz. Uh, but they're not requiring vaccination cards, which seems yeah. like that is a little thing that would make things a lot more comfortable for yeah, people that, and seems a lot smarter. Yeah. Strikes me as very strange for uh, an event that people plan months in advance. Yeah. The well, other an thing. An event that already is notorious for Pax Pox. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the thing, right? You go to any convention and you're going to get sick because you're real close to a bunch of sweaty, gross nerds all the time, right? <laughs> uh, and whatever viruses they bring just bounce around. Um, one other thing that it's has not, I mean, me... It's not, it's not just about, like, sweaty, gross nerds. It's just... You it's just people. Out. You're putting a lot of people into a room. Right, it's no, not, yes. You are it's correct. Not, it's not the fault of, like, <laughs> specifically yes, yes. The, the fact gamers. that they are sweaty and gross gamers <laughs> is, is a side note. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It's my ASMR podcast. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> It's um, the nerds. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. continue, Alex. No, you're good. You're good. Um, another thing that has me a little bit concerned, though, is, and this is this is much more superficial than either of the things that we've brought up so far, but the idea that we have, big air quotes, eliminated the virus in the States and, like, it's going to be so much safer to do things. We have, maybe we have achieved herd immunity, like some people have suggested. If they're going to be doing the social distancing and the hygiene theater and the fact that there will not be a lot of exhibitors there... This just sounds like it'd be kind of a lame, frustrating PAX, right? Where yeah. you would just get herded around and, like, carefully organized by the, uh, what do they call them, the enforcers. And, like, there's not going to be a lot of exhibitors. And it costs more this year than it did in years before. Yeah. Like, it, it I, even if things are safe, it sounds like it's still going to be kind of lame. So, yeah, I, I don't know. know. That's I, So, what, what, what keeps me thinking that PAX could be the gaming event that could continue to be interesting despite COVID is PAX's prevalence of independent developers. Um, I don't think that the AAA halls will be very interesting at all, um, but that, that's, that's been a, a trend just in a general sense throughout the years. I think that people who are stuck at home during quarantine, um, a lot of them were staying indoors anyways to work remotely on independent games either by themselves or remotely with a crew which is how most studios start before you know because you're not going out and getting an office space before you have had a money that is bringing you in residual or a a game that's bringing you residual income so i feel like pax has the potential to be very interesting in that sense like it usually is but to me like like you said like i'm with you alex my big hang-up is that so? I'm vaccinated. Janelle's vaccinated. Alex's vaccinated. All this stuff, right? Personally, I feel comfortable going to a convention. I don't necessarily feel comfortable with a convention happening, though. Like, yeah, that that makes sense. To you me. know what I mean? Yeah, I get you. I I feel at this point, Seattle being almost seventy five percent vaccinated, more than half of U.S. adults being vaccinated. I feel pretty comfortable outside, but I don't think that 
that means that my lived experience is the defining, like, oh, now it's over. Yeah, well, no, exactly, right? Metric, yeah. Also, like, we still wear masks everywhere, yes. and they say they'll enforce masks or whatever, but enforcers are volunteers. Well, they'll say they enforce masks, get... but but Seattle is not enforcing masks yeah. anymore, so I don't think that when September comes around, that will still be true. Hell, the video game store I work at doesn't enforce masks. Yeah, I don't think yeah, that'll yeah. be true in September. And, you know, and, maybe, yeah. maybe it will be air quotes safer, right? But is the, yeah, is the response I, to that to just not allow masks anymore? Like, what are we what no. are we going to do about that, right? Yeah, I'm just, even if they are still enforcing masks, I doubt, I don't think it's fair to put that on the enforcers who are just, like, volunteering to do a thing for eight hours a day in a sweaty yeah. convention center. Like, I don't know, you guys, about this one. So, like, suffice to say... Our decision on attendance is 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 pretty up in the air, and, and it certainly would be a no if that, it involved travel. That's a weird. And, I think. That's that's a weird part about games journalism, isn't it, you guys? Yeah. I'm like, well, I want to go report on games, but, but I don't know. If I can just make a real quick comment, and then yes. I don't know if anyone else has anything they want to say. Nolan mentioned that it's up in the air for us, uh, and he also mentioned that PAX tickets will sell out in 30 minutes, sometimes even less. Uh, this this year, it took them like two hours to completely sell out of the four day passes. Which sounds quick, but it's not. For it's packs. not that, at all for packs. That, can be as low as two to three minutes, even. Yeah. that is true. However, last packs we had, um, it, it's Monday, so you know. But Monday passes lasted for days, actually. Yeah, it's, but, but those but, always but last know, for days. I know right? that's. I know that's, uh, n- not until the last couple of years. I know that's a little bit different, but like already, you can see the like demand for certain days going down yeah. and now like to have the full passes not selling very fast is really surprising. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, so I, it sounds like a lot of people are not going to be going to PAX. Um, I don't know if they're doing limited capacity. They are. Um, okay. Okay. You'll have to forgive me because these are wildly different numbers and off the no, top good, of my head, good. I don't remember which one it is, but it's either 50 or 70% reduced capacity. Okay. Or like, Seventy percent yeah. reduced as yeah. no, 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 no. Of These the are the opposite ones. Seventy percent, okay. Of yeah. capacity. Seventy percent capacity. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Of the of the capacity, no, there is seventy. Yeah. English is English is full of so many phrases that just border on not making sense. <laughs> um. Yeah, let's pack West. Yeah, we'll get back to you on that. Um, yeah. Nolan, yeah. Nolan is. I know you're pretty passionate about this next story. Sorry, I got distracted because I could hear the. Peas. I was. I was like passionate, and it made me really anxious. So <laughs> you gotta get a yeah. pop filter. Yeah. No pop. Filter. Pop. God, I can't believe I did ASMR. I can see the <laughs> the like intense vertical line on the audio feed where I said pop. This is kind of. It's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for that. That nice little segue. There is a series of games that I am personally a fan of called the Trails, um, or sometimes known as the Kiseki series, which is what I have heard described um, by people who have played all of the games or all of what's available, which is is coming close to um, 10 or 11 games, I think, right now, maybe a little less, is essentially the video game world's equivalent of the cinematic universe or like the long epic saga of novels uh the idea behind these games made by balcom was to write a world with intricate enough politics and lore 
on both the national and continental and regional and local level to be able to sustain an entire series of games that cover the history of a whole generation and and a, and a whole pivotal period in a in a world's history and there's you know a trilogy that takes place in one country and a trilogy takes place in another and everything and they're all happening concurrently so some people say it's 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 probably like the mo- one of the most widespread and detailed continuous RPG series ever made. There's certainly not many contenders that can match its word count and its depth. And because of that, every one of these games is reportedly a nightmare to localize. So the first trilogy in the game, Trails in the Sky, those did get localized to America to English, but they got localized years after the fact. They were a nightmare to work on because they were working across a couple of different continents with very little support from the Japanese publisher, and the games didn't sell very well. So there were two sequels that a lot of fans consider to be some of the best in the series, Trails from Zero and Trails to Azure, that got completely skipped um, in the localization, and they just never... These games are like 12 years old. They're they're from like 2008, 2009. Um, they just never came out over here, which is very sad for a lot of people who are fans um, who can basically only go from like reading book one to book four, you know, is, is the metaphor here. So there's a group um, called the Geofront that's a group of translators that have been working on those two games for a really long time. And, you know, if you think back to like the another Metroid 2 remake story. You know, if you're making an unofficial project like this, one of the great fears people have is that the company will announce their own version of that project and they'll get cease and desisted. So Trails from Zero and Trails to Azure, the translations miraculously actually did reach completion. And then NIS America announced that they would be publishing Trails from Zero and Trails to Azure in America in like 2022 and 2023, But the really, really cool part is that they actually are using Geofront's translation as the base for their translation, and they have partnered with them. They're going to be putting the fan sub creators' names in the credits. They're allowing them even to, you know, I I, I don't think that they're, like, consulting, but they're basically letting Geofront sort of hand the keys to their translation off to NIS and, you know... Hopefully, if everything goes well, treat it with respect. And like these these people who were huge fans of the game, spent years of their lives trying to get this game localized, are now going to be immortalized in one of their favorite games. And I think it's so cool because if you've been paying attention to sort of localization troubles, I think the first thing that popped people's minds is Mother Three, where Nintendo fans have had ways to play Mother Three in English for a long time. But it has been theorized that that's one of the reasons why Nintendo just won't pull the trigger and and release the game overseas. And I I just wanted to highlight this story because NIS America reaching out to both Falcom and Geofront, where previously people had said this game will never get published because working with two separate groups like this through a middleman is just logistically so difficult for a game of this scale. The fact that they did that and Falcom agreed, and these people are just going to be officially part of the localization rather than being legally told to be shut down or something like that. I, I think it's remarkable, and I, and I hope that it's an example 
for other publishers to follow. So like, here's c- my ce- celebrate your fans. It, it makes so much sense to do. Here's my first question: Are these people getting paid? They are getting paid, and and in fact, there there's a lot of little things carrying over. Like they designed um, unofficially years ago, they designed the English logos of the game, and they're actually using those logos, slight alterations, and they're going to be getting credit for that too. So, so, so to to hear that they are partnering with a fan, like a fan studio, and paying them for their work is fucking awesome. It's that makes me right? really, really happy to hear. And there's so many games that could benefit from this, like Mother Three, like you were saying. Nintendo doesn't like to yeah. play ball with anyone but themselves. But if they were willing to work with these people and release this official translation, like that would make so many people so happy, right? Like you have a community that wants to do this. And if you you can pay them for their work, release this officially so that they get, and then they, I don't know if they get a kickback from sales, but like get paid for it. That's, that's amazing. That's the coolest thing. Yeah. I love hearing that when they're willing to, or like when people are willing to buy modders or like incorporate famous mods or localizations now into their project. That's so cool. Yeah. It's, it's really wonderful. And, and the, amazing thing about it too is that like i said the the game trails from zero the first one coming out in 2022 is going to be 12 or 13 years old by the time it comes out so not only are they willing to go do this and put the effort into getting an official release out so that people can play it without having to resort to piracy but furthermore they're doing it with a game that a relatively to be honest a relatively small number of people care about yeah. Like it's a it's a very niche product. And they're also doing it for three or four other Trails games as well. Some other side games that also didn't make the cut for localization because of being considered too small or too tertiary are also being put through. And um it's 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 real dang cool. I like yeah, it a lot. That's amazing. That's that's honestly some of the best news that I've heard in a while, right? Like this is something Absolutely. that's gonna make people really happy. And the people, you know, this, like, grassroots community is now getting acknowledged by this company and getting paid to work with them, right? Like, that is the best case scenario for every party here. Yeah, and I wanted to read this this short statement um, from the project lead of the localization. So I, I really liked what he said. Uh, his name is Scott. He said, Leading the Geofront's trails to Azure was a dream come true, but seeing this partnership come to fruition is something unfathomable. I cried tears. <laughs> Are you going to cry? Sorry, I teared up a little bit. <laughs> I cried tears of joy the day I read NAS America's proposal to us. I was overwhelmed at the thought of my name <laughs> being immortalized in my favorite game of all time forever. It's really amazing. Like It's yeah. yeah. This is this is borderline unprecedented, I want to say. I can't think of another scenario where this has or could have happened, right? Because the, so many game studios yeah. are so are so like secretive and standoffish and are so terrible with like the way that they will treat like fan works or like fan projects. Like, yeah, this is this is so cool. The funny kind of flip side of the coin is that the um Trails games, so several of them come close to uh record holding for like most dialogue, most text dialogue in in a game because they're 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 they are so dense one of the gimmicks of these game of these games all of them 
is that every single time a major plot event happens, you can talk to every single NPC and all of them will have something to say about it. So <laughs> that's one of the reasons why localization gets, it's so easy for Falcom to be like, let's not do this one because it takes, <laughs> it takes like a year or two just to localize the scripts for these games. And they contain hundreds and hundreds of thousands oh, yeah. of, of words worth of text. So, uh, the funny flip side of the coin is imagining NIS America being like, fuck it, someone already wrote this. <laughs> no, but <laughs> that's the thing. Let's they, just call them. <laughs> like, realistically, that's probably what they did, but it probably. still works yeah. out, right? Like, yeah. this is a solution that makes everyone happy. And, yep. you know, I hope they work with them and are willing to do more stuff like this because the idea that you can cooperate with the people that, that love your game and want to make your game into something better than it already is is really mm -hmm. exciting. And that's just why I love it because I, I know that people have said things like, oh yeah, I mean, it would be it would be super nice if Nintendo could just pick up AM2R and give it the official seal of approval. That that, that would be great. But like, you know, realistically, they can't just do that. But they totally could though. Oh, they absolutely could, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a little bit different, but with Sega hiring Christian Whitehead for Sonic Mania, I mean... That's the other thing I thought about, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, I, I think we're seeing a lot of cases of this working out really well, and I just hope it's an example for the future. Slap that down. Keep keep them coming. I don't keep know. You don't need to be but, so draconic with your IPs. There are people... You can yeah. come to a wonderful cooperative agreement with the people who also love this thing that you are trying Fun. to sell and promote to people, and then what use it to sell and promote more things, so everyone wins. What if video games were meant to be fun for people <laughs> to play? That's... It's just such it's a ridiculous. weird thought. Ridiculous. The yeah. idea of people and the world playing video games? Ha! <laughs> no, thank you. I'll yeah. say, apparently, the newest Trails game is, uh, apparently, it's real good. Falcom has this history of, of doing this, this thing that I just think is really funny. It's, it's happened to them with, I think, every single Trails trilogy, because they're all one continuous story, right? But they, they release in either trilogies or duologies or as four games, but they never planned them that way. Like, the first game was supposed to be one, or the, the, the first trilogy was supposed to be one game, but the script was so long that they cut it into two games, two entire, like, 80-hour RPGs, and then they decided that the story still wasn't concluded, so they added a third epilogue game that is also, like, 25 hours, and then they were going to have one game that was going to bridge the story into the next trilogy and then that got split into two equally long games and then they were going to make the next trilogy and they made the first two and then the third game was so long it got split into a fourth game that is longer than any of the previous three <laughs> jesus christ they just, they just keep doing it they just keep going and what i'm here to say falcom i love trails games they're really fun but Marvel didn't do 22 movies because that's the number you have to aim for. You can stop. <laughs> <laughs> you can be done if you want to. Just saying. <laughs> Anyways. What's next? This is a so that was a really cool thing about uh, video game development. Uh, how about some, some more stinky things about video game development? Yeah, yeah. Some, some bad ones. Okay. <laughs> who's, who's, who's running this? Alex, shoot, go for it, buddy. Okay, sure. Uh, so this is kind of a commentary and or a review <laughs> of a book by a person we've talked about quite a bit. 
Uh, the book is called Press Reset, oh, okay. Ruin and Recovery in the Video Games Industry by Jason oh, yeah. Schreier. And it is book. Ascent- I, yeah, I, yeah. Got a, I got a press copy of that book. Didn't get to review it. Not my fault for once. Hell yeah. Good Hell yeah. Though. Yeah. Good book, though. I'll review it someday. Maybe. <laughs> One of these days. Uh, and, and this this article sort of reviews the book and also kind of leaps off from there and asks the question about why video games keep being like such nightmares for like the labor industry and like why they're so afraid of it. Um, and they talk about a pretty famous example uh, of the guy who made uh, what's that game called? Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. Well, he was at least uh, oh, yeah. partially responsible for for funding it, but he he wasn't. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he was he was like the he was like he started the company, right? He was like yeah. a a baseball player. Yes, he, the article says baseball player. He started. His name is Kurt Schilling. Um, he started a company called Thirty Eight Studios. Um, that was partially funded from his baseball career and partially funded by a loan from the uh, Rhode Island government. Um, Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning was the only game that was released under his IP, which was, he, he had a dream to make an MMO of Kingdoms of Amalur. Um, but, uh, the idea of making an MMO of a brand new IP was kind of a no-go in terms of marketability. So this company, Big Huge Games, which is unrelated to 38 Studios, was already making an action game and they went to go look at it. And he basically said, hey, your action game is really good. Can we slap Kingdoms of Amalur onto it and just make it in this world? And they did it. So while it is his IP and his world and stuff, I'd be hesitant to say he made it. Sure. If that, okay. ma- if, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, <laughs> but that does also, make sense. Yeah. Um, but he, he, was, he was kind of a pivotal figure in getting that started, right? Oh, like, absolutely. They talk about yeah. That in the article. Yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they, they kind of use this as a really good case story, and I believe the book does too, goes into this, about how and why uh, it, it failed. And it was terrible for the people that worked there, because they all got stuck in Rhode Island, where nobody could be, uh, or like you couldn't really develop games. There is no real, like, there was no Hollywood of video games, uh, which we'll come back to that idea in just a sec here. But... He, he uses this example of how they just burned through money and how the employees kind of got laid off and just abandoned to ask what the deal with video games is, why this keeps happening, uh, and what could maybe be done about that. And this is something Jason Schreier goes into a lot more depth about. Mm-hmm. Um, but in essence, this, this story, the main focus of this story that we're talking about uh, directly compares in, in, video games to uh, the film industry. Uh, they talk about how in the 20s uh, you had like a massive effort for unionization and to create actors guilds, which still exist today. And this not only helped movies become like more profitable and easier to make, it was better on all of the actors and directors and studio people. Anyone who works on a film set is unionized, right? So mm-hmm. like that is what makes Hollywood work. Mm-hmm. And, well, and, and one of the big focuses of that book and also what the article is covering is this idea that um, whereas the way it works in film is that when a movie goes into pre-production, and I actually learned this just, just from researching this story, when a movie goes into production, a corporate entity, like a corporation, is, is created just for that film, technically. 
Yeah, yeah. And the people are all employed on it, and their division of labor is is essentially decided by their position within a union, right? So you have unions saying that this person is going to work as a sound engineer or whatever. You cannot have them come in and say that you need someone to help move this set piece or whatever. So you have this clear division of labor. Everyone knows what they're going to do. And everyone expects basically that they can be told you're going to be filming on this movie until July unless you decide to stay longer or whatever. But you don't have a lot of uncertainty there. And then when the movie is done, you close the corporation. Nobody expects the corporation to exist in perpetuity. Whereas with video games, you open a studio. Once you release a game, your employees are still employed at your studio. So if you don't have something on the docket right then, you're in a lot of trouble. You have to lay people off. If your game doesn't sell well, you're going to have to cut part of your workforce even when you are working on a game and you have job security in the games industry, there's this constant cleaver hanging over your head that is telling you that dependent on the success of your game or the whims of the people in charge of the studio, or God forbid, the whims of the people in charge of the people of the studio are going to decide to reshuffle resources or put people onto different projects or whatever. You could spend three years of your life working on a game just to have the game canceled and the studio downsized. Like, they're not freelancers like in um, the film industry. So if you move out to Rhode Island to work on a game that gets canceled and the studio gets shut down, what are you going to do? Like, you sold your house, you live in Rhode Island now. Yeah. yeah. There's no other game studios in Rhode Island. So it's just, it's totally unsustainable the way that it's set up. But it doesn't have to be. Yeah. That's the idea. Yeah. There's been a very recent, well, not very recent, but more recently, there's been a big push for it, uh, unionization in the games industry. And that is something that has been missing for a long time. And mm-hmm. it's obviously way overdue, but now there's uh, a very big push from it. And they talk about it in the article. There's a, there's a woman who... Uh, like, works with a sort of, like, union, like, labor center for, like, the entire U.S. who is, like, being signed on to really help push and normalize the idea of labor unions within the games industry. Yeah, her name uh, is, her last name is, um, is, is Kenema. I need to look up what her first name is, but she is, yeah, Emma, Emma Kenema works for, uh, that's a good name. Game, Game Workers Unite, I think you're referring to, which is yeah, yeah. Um, the sort of activist group pushing for game developer unionization, which is something that, I, I mean, I don't really, I don't think there are that many industries that should not be unionized, if, if any, yeah. Yeah. especially well, creative they, ones where people are undervalued chronically in almost every creative field. They talk about this in the article, and this is doubly interesting because... Kurt Schilling is a pretty prominent figure. He's a political commentator, too. He works for Breitbart. He <laughs> has a collection of Nazi memorabilia. He is a... He is a... He is a... He's a real piece of work. But the this article talks about how he was a part of the MLB Players Association, which was a union, and, like, wanted to bring that over into his game studio to have a proposed 50-50 profit share with like the manage- managerial and the employees and Jason Schreier's book w- went into this. He did a lot of things. Like he had a lot of people relocating from different States and he actually used some of his personal wealth to help cover 
the rest of their mortgages if they had to move. Yeah. And get rid of a house. He he actually treated his employees very well. He gave them tons of benefits, lots of time off. Um, the his at least according to Jason Trier's book, his kind of dream for a game studio was it was a completely equitable workspace where everyone could sort of share their ideas and and get together. But the problem was one, he didn't really he didn't know anything about making video games. So he spent a bunch of money bringing a bunch of people together and was going to give them freedom to do whatever he want. But what he wasn't offering was any sense of leadership or any any real like, like he wasn't telling them what he wanted them to make. But he was saying, no, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, of course, they all are there and he's paying them and they're not making anything concrete because he keeps vetoing ideas and giving them no direction. But at least according to the book, the people that were there were saying that they got no vibes of him being like a MAGA alt-right guy while they worked with him. Yeah, I mean, the fact and that he wanted to create something yeah. that resembles a union seems there. There is at like least that. some speculation that like the collapse of his studio, which cost him a ton of his personal wealth, ca- caused might have caused him to get a, mm. a, go a little bit unstable mentally. Um but uh, that's neither here nor there for this story particularly. Yeah. But it is what interesting is, though, though, is that... What's that now? Oh, no, go ahead, Alex. Oh, I was just going to say, what, what is more relevant that. is that, uh, according to this article, an industry veteran brought in uh, Schilling and was like, you cannot do that because investors won't like it. You have to have the more traditional, like, pyramid structure as opposed to a more equitable uh, profit share. Yeah, it, it's unfair, right? Because, like, it's it's not like creating a studio that treats its employees well was what led to a failed game it it, what what happened is that he was just somebody with no experience in making a game and one thing the book covers really well is that kurt Schilling was kind of an uh, egomaniac and he was ego egomaniac 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 yeah yeah he was unwilling to cede creative control over to a game director so he wanted to kind of be the director of the game but he didn't understand what anybody was doing so like one one thing that the book talks about that is really interesting is that he um laid out all the different races that he wanted to put in their mmo um which was this game code named copernicus and they created all of the different playable races and outlined their classes and everything. And they even began designing the worlds and all that. And then one day he came into the office and he was like, I had a crazy idea. I want you to be able to play as a centaur. I'm, comp- I'm totally set on how cool it would be to have players play as a centaur. And they were like, Kurt, that's really cool, but there's a couple of problems in an MMO. Centaurs would, 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 would necessarily have to be excluded from all of the player mounts that you're promising early subscribers. They, would, they wouldn't be able to use any of the cosmetic items. They need to have a different armor system. And, and furthermore, they wouldn't fit in any of our doors that we have in the game. So they wouldn't be able to enter most of the locations. And we'd have to make them have a separate zone or something. And, and he was like, well, that would just make it more realistic if they had all those limitations. It's, I mean, you know, we're supposed to make a game that no one's made before. And they were like, great, but how can we afford to make a second game for just centaurs? <laughs> and, and he would just keep going like, you, like you got, it's, but it's going to be so cool. You got to go for it. And that's why it collapsed. But then you have people blaming it on his benevolent style of treating his employees. It's. I know this isn't yeah. what we're talking about. But um, I'm not going to share the name of the company or the industry or anything, but I have another job 
that is um, the company's a union buster. A bunch of people got fired last year when they tried to start a union. And I, I know this isn't relevant, but man, I just I think about this stuff a lot. And it's, it's crazy relevant. how since the 20s, capitalism has made people believe that if you're in a union, it's bad news for you. It's definitely not. And if you can advocate for yourself in your jobs and look up unions that you can join or however the fuck it works, I don't know. I don't get to know. Like, what would my you job's a union buster. Rather do, right? As yeah. if you were working in a creative industry, would you rather pay your dues to have people representing you to try and help ensure steady employment and, and, and wages that ho- hopefully would outweigh your dues anyway? Or would you have it be like, oh, this game made an 84 on Metacritic instead of an 85, so we're laying off a third of the workforce and there's no game studios within 600 miles, so I guess you better sell your house and tell your wife and two kids you're moving to Seattle to apply to Valve if they take you. If not, maybe you can divest your personal wealth into starting an indie studio and work on that for four years, and if it succeeds, you're all fine, but if it doesn't, you're fucked. Better go work at a pizza place. It, it, it's such a nightmare. And like the yeah. fact that I, I, I don't quote me on this. But I remember hearing somewhere that video games have surpassed music as like the most profitable like surpassed media. Any, anything. They're the most profitable digital medium in the world. Really? Okay. They in make that case, over $150 billion a year. Our podcast is so fucking important. Yeah. <laughs> in that case, yeah, we, we, it's, it's way overdue. We need to start taking a, taking a page out of Hollywood's book would not be a terrible idea in this sense especially because of how they attempt to run things, right? Like, Absolutely. yeah, it's, it's frustrating to hear this, these stories, and, and I hope we don't have to hear them, but I think this is a really interesting article that kind of examines how this could work. Okay, I just, I just looked it up, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this was as recent as 2018. Um, according to the latest figures, the video game business is now larger than both the movie and music industries combined. Wow. So the uh, global box office and film in 2018 made $41.7 billion in global revenues, while the music uh, industry reached $19.1 billion revenues in 2018, bringing the total to about $62 or $63 billion. Meanwhile, circa 2020, wow. video games make about $150 billion per year. You know, man, I don't get why people make video games. Like, honestly, it's like... The studio you work you work for might treat you like shit. The fans will treat you like shit. Twitter will treat you like shit. Like, wait a... God, they put up with a lot of shit. They mm-hmm. put up with so much shit. Speaking of... um, spe- Shit? No. Speaking of something... Are you insulting a, our listener? No, I'm not insulting our listener. I was going to say... I was trying to find a way to segue into asking if... Playing the Blues Clues mail time theme song would be illegal. What? <laughs> what? Because I think we got. Because I think we got mail. Wait, I wanted to say one last thing before we read listener mail, though. Oh, okay, my right. apologies. Is that this article that we're going to link in the description made a really good point, which I, I I think is really a linchpin to this story. Is that it is not that the video game industry's business model is broken; it's that it works as intended. But it's not intended to share revenue or stability with the people who make them because they're considered shuffleable resources. Right. It's, it, it is making so much money for the people in charge of green lighting and canceling developments 
and they have no problem with stability, right? So it's not that it's broken. I just think that's an important part of the story. Right. Absolutely. It just needs to not be the way the way it is is not good for you know people who are actually making the games. I feel like you could say that for basically any industry. Basically yeah, that's the any thing, industry. Right? Yeah. Yep, yep. Yep. That's why we need unions. Yeah. Welcome to the political video game cast, I guess, now. So if, <laughs> if we could change one thing about American society, it would probably be that. Well, maybe some other things, but that's one of the contenders. <laughs> okay. If, okay. But we got a listener question that yes. asked, if you could change one thing about any controller, what would it be? Oh. Make the and they comment Xbox controller smaller. Next they commented, <laughs> uh, I would either give Joy-Cons a D-pad or have the PS1 launch with the sticks. So, Janelle, yours is to make oh. them, the Xbox controller smaller? Why? Because I can't fucking use it. <laughs> they're only <laughs> getting they're only getting bigger every year. I know, and I'm always like, I hate that fucking controller. I can barely use it, and, uh, and y'all are like, fucking big hand privilege. Y'all are like, it's no big deal. To to some of us, it is. To some of us, it is. Okay. <laughs> um, I'd also make um, Joy Con stop fucking breaking all the time. That's what I would do. Uh, you Except know, I'm gonna, say, I'm gonna say that's a given, but sure, yeah. Your, yeah, your controller well, functioning should be like t- okay, should be like yeah, a base well, level thing. Yeah, well, our listener said give the PlayStation the joysticks right away, but they got that later, so that's a pointless one, listener. <laughs> 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 Fix your answer and call us back. They <laughs> uh, got their wish. Damn it! You know, you know what I would do? I would have given the Wiimote one more button. I don't care. What, like either. Well, I don't. I don't, wanna say I don't, <laughs> I don't care, care what it does. I don't care, yeah, what, I it can do I care what it does. I just want it. Well, it should either be on the uh, back or on the on the front next to the A button. Whose choice was it to put one and two on a place where you'd have to shuffle your hand position to use them yeah, for yeah. most of the games on the console? That, it was it was who, great who for who NES games. Who decided to do that? They're it was like, terrific this, for NES games. This controller can be held sideways and uses an NES controller. Great, but it also invalidates half its buttons for every other game. Yeah. Put like them the, anywhere else. <laughs> the goal of that controller was very, very clearly so a casual audience would not be intimidated by it, right? You look at the top yeah. half, and there is one button that you can use, right? Flip it over, there's another button. If they had added one more button somewhere, I feel like you could have done a better job <laughs> of porting games. Right on the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think you could reach, right? What if we lived in the timeline where they added one more button, and the Wii U just collo- or the Wii colossally flopped? Like people That's just walk in the stores like, and they were like, no, I can't understand hey, this piece of tech. Hey, can I, I have a, fi- I have a new one. Okay. Before yeah, what's up? Goes. What's up? Mine's cheating. Cause it's all third party controllers. I'd have them filled with like a small yet hefty piece of lead so that they have some weight to them. <laughs> oh. So they get lead poisoning. <laughs> Fucking a rock, one rock then. One stone. One stone to make those controllers feel less like shit. Cause they all do. <laughs> Nolan, what's yours? Um, I'm having a hard time with this one, but I think off the top of my head, I would give the Steam controller a right thumbstick in addition <laughs> to the special thing that it had, so that it could sorry. be... I just started thinking about <laughs> if you made it so that the Wii controller was, like, really gooey, so that when people <laughs> would actually throw it at their TVs, it would just, like, goo into their TV. <laughs> it would just stick to their hands. And I don't know why, but that just made me crack up. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Please finish like, what you were saying. They're like, they're like, why are you mad? This is the... We're making your living room safer, and the only cost to you is slightly sticky hands. Please, 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 please say what you said, because I was not it's listening to It's either that or you. a strap, and we know we can't do a strap, so... 
Okay, I'm sure there are better ones, but these are the only two I can think of. Like I said, okay, the Steam controller had this 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 uh like trackpad oh, for yeah. your right thumb, which was really cool. It had a lot of cool applications, but they didn't include a right thumbstick, so you had to use it even in places where it was really awkward, like turning the camera in a third person game or whatever. So I think it'd be cool if you had the option to use a right stick on a Steam controller because that was cool. All the gyro stuff we had, all the haptics, that was sort of like a little taste of the future before it got here. And then the second one (laughs) is that I would make it so that the Wii U, no, not the Wii U, the PS Vita didn't have the back touchpad because nobody used it. that sucks. No one used the back touchpad and it was dumb because when you, the Vita is small. So when I hold it, my fingers touch the back touchpad And it does stuff in Metal Gear Solid that I don't tell the game to do. And then I have to crunch my hands like a little, like a little man, like a little Lego minifigure around the sides of my Vita with my fingers arched like fucking You bought it, no, I bought it like a thing to hold it. I bought a special grip for my Vita so I could hold it like a controller so I wouldn't trigger. Because on, on Suikoden... The back touchpad is tied, like the left side of the back touchpad is tied to one of the triggers and then the right to the other trigger. So I was just constantly bumping those fucking triggers while I was playing Suikoden just from holding. There's no other way to hold it except like a Lego minifigure hand is the only safe way to hold your Vita. So I I would fix that. I would bring back the clear (laughs) plastic. Wait. You know in Willy Wonka, you know in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory when they first like get into the big room and then like he eats the cup, the like teacup. <laughs> I would make, I would turn Joy Cons into whatever that is, and they don't have to fix the drift, so that in like six months when your Joy Con stops working, you can just eat it. Can you get a new one for free? No, seventy dollars. Wait, seventy dollars for one I, snack. I would give, I would give Xbox controllers a Dorito slot, so I can like, put my Doritos in it. <laughs> play Halo. <laughs> and every time I die, which is all the time, I just get to have a little treat. Do you, you remember that you one? Do you remember a confirmation can? Yeah! I was just gonna say that! Do you remember that? No. No, what is that? Listen, look up, look up confirmation can green text. It was, okay. yeah, it was a story based off of a real patent that was like. If you wanted to turn off a commercial uh, on your TV, you had to say the name of the product and then it would turn <laughs> off. And somebody created this 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 wonderful piece of like fiction, like science fiction, dystopian fiction, it's where like you like, had to like drink cans of Seven Up to play a video well, it was, game. It was it was oh, when me Microsoft said that the Kinect would never turn off the camera, and that if you remember back in the beginning of the xbox one it was like you couldn't turn on the xbox one without the connect being plugged in but you could never turn off the connect so they, they were going to make it like an like a surveillance thing <laughs> yeah yeah i do that's, remember that, that that's what it was they were talking about like okay go, okay. Sit, in, go sit in front of your your connect and to turn on turn on your console like it says drink a confirmation can of mountain dew in front of the camera <laughs> wait i would i would just i would just cancel i'd kill the play date Oh, Why? Have you guys? Did you guys play with one at PAX no. a couple years yeah. ago? It sucks. That thing. No, the, like, it's fine. The windy, stupid piece of shit control thing. Fucking it's hate cute. it. I killed. I I cannot wait to load Tetris onto that thing. That thing seems like an excellent Game Boy emulator. Yeah. You know why? This isn't why I hate that thing. But I I opted into playing with the Playdate instead of playing Untitled Goose Game. Oh well, there's uh, your problem. Yeah, one of those is much better. Fucking, well, they were right next to each other. They were suck yeah. mode. 
<laughs> what they else? Were right there. What's a stupid thing you guys would do to them? I don't want a real answer. Neither does this listener. Let's be real. What do you like? What do you really? What do you really want? I would add like a spaghetti. Fourth, I would add a fourth prong to the N sixty four. God. Okay. And it and it wouldn't be like parallel to the other ones. It would make it look like a trident. It'd be a prong on top, so that you could hold it. What, you know, you could hold it one direction and it would look like the Seattle Seahawks, like M, <laughs> but then you could turn it the other direction and you could play games where it's like you're holding a trident. I, <laughs> I, I, I would go back in time and make a deal with the with whoever makes Bop It and make it so that it's compatible with any video game console <laughs> so that you can control your games with a Bop It, but only the big Bop It, not yeah, any yeah. listener that said they would make the first PlayStation controller have joysticks. How about... That's insane. N- none, all five of the... <laughs> none of them have joysticks. <laughs> they just never but caught all on. all the games, but all the games are the exact same games, including ones that only have their controls mapped to the joysticks, and people are just like, wow... <laughs> Ratchet and Clank <laughs> ripped apart. <laughs> Sucks. <laughs> I can't believe Insomniac still hasn't mapped movement controls onto the controller. This game looks pretty, but no one can play it. Uh, it's a significant problem. <laughs> I would I would make a universal controller that's just a tablet that were displayed buttons that you had to press on the tablet with no feedback, no like sense of touch or anything. <laughs> You're just fucking mashing a uh, uh, fucking touchscreen. I'd make the Wii U controller the exact same size, but there wouldn't be a screen on it, just a big blank spot. And it still costs <laughs> I, just as much. I, I, I replace... still like you can you can take it out of the room, but it doesn't do anything. <laughs> I replace the Wii remote with a Wii U. Can, can you imagine the advertisement? Like Miyamoto's like <laughs> <laughs> Imagine the ad. Miyamoto's like, look what I can do. And he picks it up. (laughs) 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 Okay. He just walks to the other room and he's like, I can bring it here. (laughs) (laughs) There's no no screen on it. (laughs) He invented wireless controllers. embarrassing like laugh sound I've ever made. Listener, I can't talk and laugh at the same time. No, I don't think any of us can. Somebody can. Somebody out there can do it. When we talked about this is my last thing. When we talked about the dual sense I said, I think I said this. Someone go back to that episode. I think I said that they should have smell ability. So so you can smell. I want that still. It's a terrible (laughs) idea, but for some games that's a great idea. Like Uh. like, uh, Overcooked did you hear that? Yeah, someone's, fucking... it's just honking outside. Motherfucker? Excuse me, I'm you interrupt my it, podcast. Like, I'm imagining it like not even being a subtle like release of scent, but just like 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 a skunk type spray. It's just like a into your chest. <laughs> That's into your <laughs> mouth. No, it's like it's like a scratch and sniff, but your controller can only have like so many times that you've scratch and sniffed it until you have to get a new controller. But it what do you like like you buy a game and it comes with like a adhesive patch you put on your controller and it's like scratch this at the beginning of chapter three. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are that way one, over time. That one's for free, Sony. You 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 can oh, use that. I'll yeah. give that to you. <laughs> well, I I want the money. Okay, that was the Emerald Games Cast episode sixty six. 
If you want to send us a question, you can do so at emeraldgamescast at gmail.com, or we have a Twitter at ODE Gamescast, and you can tweet us there or DM us there, or also in the bio of that Twitter, there's a link to a, um, what do you call it, a Google form, where you can put questions there. We read those too. Um, but until next time, my name is Nolan. With me has been... <laughs> I will be you with a little screen. <laughs> and also... A very sticky Wii remote. Ew! Ew. Alright, see you guys next week. <laughs>